Hello and welcome to Plant CEO. In today's episode, I'm super excited to introduce uh, Leonard Lira, the founder of Back of the Yard Algae Sciences. Uh, welcome, Leonard. Thank you very much. It's really an honor to be on your webcast. Yeah, I'm excited because you're going to give us an exclusive look behind your uh, lab uh, and, meet, and we'll get to meet some of your scientists uh, shortly. Yeah, well, it's not exclusive because the one thing that we're totally committed to is transparency. People can come, they can visit. We have very close interaction with the local community and the greater Chicago and Midwest uh, uh, science and uh, public. So is, is this a video exclusive or it's not something, uh, it's, it's not an exclusive as in, uh, you know. Um, well, we, we're not very well known. So as far as video goes, we're not, we're not exactly publicity hounds. So okay. Well, it is an honor to be here. Okay, awesome. <laughs> How did you first of all come up with the name? Well, we're situated in the back of the yards. It's the back of the old Chicago stockyards. This is a very, very historical place for anybody who's interested in the history of industrial food. This is basically where industrial meat was invented in the few square miles that surround this facility. Literally, uh, uh, I would say hundreds of millions of animals were slaughtered within a perimeter of a few kilometers of here. And we're sitting in what was an old pork processing plant which I always find quite ironical because I'll show you a lab where we're busy growing cruelty-free meat in the very site which has the, the karma of literally millions and millions of, a hundred years of, of pork processing in this building. Wow. Uh, so did, we are back that, of the yards because we're in the back of the yards. Right, and when did that pork uh, processing uh, company like close down? Well, essentially, the decline of the industrial meat industry in Chicago started in the 1970s. And uh, this, this particular plant lasted until 2007, when it was abruptly closed uh, due to a merger uh, and moved to Indiana. And what's very interesting is that the building was uh, supposed to be demolished. And John Edel, who is a visionary, and I'll show you his anaerobic digester, took this building and he converted it essentially into what he believed would be an incubator for local food, uh, completely sustainable and devoted to the circular economy. Uh, and we'll, look, we'll see aspects of that when we, when we do our tour. So can you start by telling, uh, to, telling me basically why algae? You know, it's, it's uh, got a number of benefits from what I hear, but it'd be great to hear it from you. Algae are basically the fundamental foundation of the planet's food chain. They process uh, most of our CO2 uh, and they feed, they feed, the, they feed the, the foundation of the food chain. And to be very uh, succinct about it, essentially all we're doing is we're trying to flatten the food pyramid. In other words, bring us back to using uh, uh, resources which should not require further processing, either by animals or by, or, 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 or by humans. And for, for us, algae are essentially a tool to achieve that. We call it back of the arts algae sciences, but essentially we're a circular economy, sustainable biote industrial biotechnology company. What was interesting when we spoke the first time is like how you actually came across the protein element when 
you made a discovery back in Paris. Can you just take me back to that point again? Well, essentially, I am a recent convert to plant-based food, alternative proteins, uh, uh, cruelty-free meat, etc. What happened was that I had originally invested in a company which was doing something to produce algae, and they had accidentally discovered a way of making a blue food colorant. This is natural blue, as opposed to chemical blue, and uh, there is a growing demand to move to natural colors. And through a whole series of serendipitous events, I essentially decided to build up the industrialization of the blue colorant. And here it is, okay? This is called phycocyanin. Can we, can can we get it? it closer? Yeah, very nice, okay. yeah. A beautiful blue. And uh, it, it was, I was here essentially to sell this colorant on an industrial scale to Mars, to Mars Candy Company for M&Ms. Right. And I was looking for some cheap space to work on the upscale. And I found this building which was really cheap. And this little corner which we're sitting in is where Back of the Yards LG Science has started. It started in, in about 10 square meters. And uh, what happened, to cut a long story short, is that as I got, as I got started with making blue colorants, I discovered that the, there was a thing called alternative proteins, plant-based meat. And so we started to work on that. And then I discovered that there, was a, there were uh, biostimulation aspects of, uh, of, the, blue, of the blue colorant uh, for in, in agriculture. And so I just arrived at the time when, number one, the plant-based meat boom was beginning. Number two, vertical farming, indoor farming was starting. And then the last terrible event that happened to us, I suppose, in terms of having to spend a lot of money on development, as you'll see, is this growing interest in cellular agriculture, cell-based meat, cell-based fish. Uh, you know. So essentially, I got caught in this whole whirlwind of, of innovation, food innovation, and I was in the right place at the right time. And that's basically what I want yeah. to show you. I was in the right place at the right time, I would say, to develop new products, new ideas, new innovations. And yes. hopefully in a, in, a, in a few years, we'll be in the right place in order to see these things spread, you know, truly industrialized. Yeah. So it's funny how you discovered it, you, you know, looking at the, you know, the extract of the blue color. When, when I think of M&Ms, it's normally yellow and green, uh, yellow and red, I think. And sometimes they have the blue one that comes out in a special edition. Um, is that, is that because it's hard, like the chemical process is just not very nice to make that blue color? And what you were saying is to get it as a, as a plant-based form is, is quite a tricky thing to do? The chemical blue, the blue dye, uh, Lake Blue, uh, Blue One, costs $4 a kilo. $4. Okay, it's a chemical. It's cheap. This particular product sells, I would say, at around $200 a kilo. And do you think that so price what, will come down eventually? Well, that's what our mission was. Right. Yeah, you know, and remains. And we're about to start. We're about to start actually industrializing it uh, on a large scale at a at our plant in Utah. Okay. Because this is much too small. Right. Uh, and the whole thing is that Mars, for example, has committed itself to move to natural colors. Yeah. There's a strong global uh, uh, consumer and regulatory. Uh, movement against 
artificial colors. Yeah. There, yeah. You know, there are claims of connections with autism and all sorts of things. Oh, wow. The reason that if you buy Mars, for example, it, were, did launch a natural blue uh, M&M, but uh, because of the pricing, there were very few blues in it, and the color of the blue wasn't that good. So Mars stopped. But what's very interesting is, and I think it's actually applicable to, to our discussion on plant-based meat, uh, on cellular agriculture, is essentially that Mars has committed itself to natural colors. Uh, and plant-based the... as well, like the chocolate obviously moving away from dairy. Did they, did they tell you about that side? Are they looking, looking at that too? Yes, I understand that they are you know, moving towards sustainable, cruelty-free ingredients. Awesome. But if you just take the blue color alone, yeah. if, if Mars were to, uh, to move to natural blue tomorrow, you would need uh, approximately five times the world production of this particular natural color just for M&Ms alone. Right, yeah. It's incredible. So our, our, uh, our, our whole philosophy is we'd like to see a better world. We'd like to see uh, anim animal cruelty is not good for, this, for ourselves, clearly. Uh, uh, Eating uh, food that's not environmentally sustainable is not good for the planet, etc., etc. But our view is the only way this is going to happen is if people work on making these processes industrial, scalable. Yeah. Scalable. Yeah. And, and the, biggest, the biggest example is undoubtedly that of uh, lab-grown meat, cellular agriculture of meat. The first cellular agriculture, the first burger, which was made cruelty-free without killing an animal, was made in 2013 by Mark Post and, and our friends at Mosa Meats. Okay, funded by Sergey Brin, et cetera. We are now in 2021 almost, and you cannot go get a uh, cruelty-free burger in the supermarket. Okay, I'm talking about real meat burger. And the question which I keep asking myself, and I ask it about plant-based meat, I ask it about, uh, about uh, burgers made, uh, grown out of cells, fish, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, is why? Why, after almost eight years, can we not get these things available to the, to the, to the public? And our, our mission essentially is to bring sustainable food that is equitable, accessible, preferably edible, which is always a good idea, you know, tasty. But to get that not to specifically the vegan community or the plant-based community or the affluent people, uh, or people who are ideologically driven to, to, to do X, Y, Z, but rather people who are not so much flexitarian, but more reducitarian, okay? And our, our whole philosophy is essentially a reducitarian philosophy, mm. which is the circular economy. Mm. Now I've given you my ideological talk. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, and so talk to me now about the, the protein side. Uh, we covered the color. Um, how how much like i don't know if you can compare uh, protein levels that you would extract like if you know uh, or the process of like from 100 grams of algae how much protein can you get out of that okay firstly algae are very rich in protein uh, spirulina and i'll show you our spirulina cultures etc we're talking about 60 percent protein high quality protein all the amino acids you need, etc. Very important when you're going to use it to grow cells, etc. Okay. 
So that's the one side. So algae is a good source of protein. The problem is it's largely doesn't taste good. So most of our work is around making it taste good. And if you look on our Instagram, you'll see that we are now capable of making algae-based uh, plant meat, which tastes as good as, if not better, than some of the big brands, you know, beyond and, 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 and this kind of thing. Uh, the, the questions which we are facing is, that's not good enough. We want to go even further. We want to make sure that this is a truly sustainable ingredient, that it tastes good, it tastes really good. I'm not saying it has to taste like meat, okay? It just has to taste good. And so we are basically very much focused now on the hybrid food. Okay. In other words, plant-based protein. And I think the whole issue of protein is very interesting because it's essentially a consumer trend. It's meaningless. We all get enough protein, okay? You're a vegan, correct? Yeah. Look at you, you're so healthy. You get enough protein, okay? <laughs> yeah. you know, you, you, I'm sure you don't obsess every day about the protein content. Not, of, not of it. So I see, essentially, this is a trend, and this trend will die, will die out, okay? What we need to make is nutritious food. Nutritious food has protein, has carbohydrates, has fats, etc. you know? I think what, what we're basically saying, if you're gonna industrialize plant-based foods, if you're gonna industrialize cruelty-free foods, you have to talk about food. Yeah, and so, yeah, you're gonna see very sophisticated science here, but we're farmers. We're industrial biotech people. We're, yeah. not, uh, we're not, we're there to make it in a big scale. Because the big changes that occur are not gonna be, uh, are gonna be when the, when, when the large food companies in, incorporate these ingredients into their food. That's when the big change occurs, you know. When, uh, yeah, and that, that, we still have a long way to go. And you said that you're, you're a farmer. One of the uses that you could have is a, you know, a biostimulant for, for plants, uh, for the growth, growth factor in plants. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yes, and on the tour, I'll show you some of the work we, we're doing there okay. in, in the lab. At the moment, oh, let, let me work backwards. At the moment, our biostimulant, which is a version of this blue you've seen, I mean, it's a different formulation, is infesting with many of the big indoor farms in the world. Now, we all want to bring our food closer to our major population centers, which is our cities, where most, most of the world is urbanized. Yeah. So it's, a great, it's really a great idea to you know, take a parking lot and turn it into a vertical farm, you know, put up larger, it looks beautiful. Yeah, okay? yeah. Totally. So fundamentally, it's, a, it's an economic and environmental disaster, in my humble opinion. Why is that? Why? Because yeah. you need a lot of energy to grow plants. Yeah. So instead of taking energy now from the sun, instead of growing a lettuce in California, where the sun is free, okay, and transporting it and, and, and the, carbon, the, carbon, the, the carbon costs, uh, the carbon load of transporting it to, to New York, okay, or you're growing it in a parking lot in New York, the environmental impact of bringing it from California is much less. If it is in the parking lot, and then, I don't know, there's LEDs powered by solar power, or there's hydraulic, uh, no, water-based uh, nutrition coming. Wouldn't that long-term be, be a more sustainable way of doing it, potentially? Well, that's exactly where, that's exactly where we come in. Okay. Because we say, okay, how could we make indoor vertical farming, what's called controlled environment agriculture, okay? So that's the, the, the vertical farm in the parking lot. How can we make that more sustainable, okay? 
And one of the ways you can make that more sustainable is to get the uh, lettuce to grow faster, okay, and to grow bigger. And so what we're working on essentially are something which is used extensively in, uh, in soil-based agriculture, which is biostimulation. Right. Okay, it's a very technical issue because obviously you cannot chuck bacteria into the water in a vertical farm because you don't want the water contaminated. So what essentially we're introducing now, and it's, uh, it, it seems to be getting a lot of traction, are ways of stimulating growth using less energy, but doing that without bacteria. You could say it's like doping, naturally doping the, the, the plants, you know. Uh, you know it's, it's, it's like a nootropic, a, uh, a functional food, but for, for, for plants. And the whole aim of doing this is essentially to improve the economic sustainability of indoor farm. Yeah. So we are, we are committed to, 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 to this particular program and we have a lot of very cutting edge research going on in this particular, in this particular area. But you know, let me tell you one thing, speaking as a farmer, we're a very strange bunch of people because it's hard to convince, even if a guy's got a, a sophisticated vertical farm, he's still a farmer. And it's very hard to convince farmers to change their practices. You know, even though it looks fantastic and looks very technical, you, it's very hard for, the, for them to convince them, hey, you take this particular biostimulant, you test it, oh no, our tanks are going to get uh, contaminated, la, 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 you know. So we, we, we struggle a lot and we're, we're just getting over the hump now with this, but it's taken us a, a, a lot of work. Plus, we have a, a similar program going on in North Carolina where we're using the same, um, we're using a similar biostimulant on soil. And there it's very important because not only is it about biostimulation, it's also about bioremediation. Bioremediation is, let us see how we can help in the transition of large scale agriculture from, this, uh, from pesticides, from, uh, from fertilizers, from GMO. Let's see how we can move it to regenerative agriculture. And the one way is to be able to remediate the soil. And the algae are a, a very potent soil remediator. So to summarize it, our program in agriculture is essentially around how can we use algal technology to make agriculture more sustainable, uh, more accessible to people, to be able to scale up agricultural methods like indoor farming, uh, uh, to ensure that, that uh, instead of a high-end product, high-end greens, this becomes something which can be available at the 7-Eleven rather than a whole. I think the regeneration part of the soil is super important. Like, I guess, you know, when you look at like birth and death of soil, you know, traditionally there used to be animals and grazing, then they die and they become, and then you've got, you know, the vegetables and the peelings all making, and then you've got worms coming in and eating it and then creating, you know, creating, regenerating the soil with their own fertilization method. Um, so to have it completely organic and then having the algae to do that job, I guess, is what you're saying, right? Yeah, I, uh, you know, I think uh, that's a very romantic view of agriculture, <laughs> uh, especially industrial. But I share it. Right. Uh, I mean, you know, like I don't see any reason why with all the science and all the sophisticated technology we have at, at our disposal today, we are chucking hydrocarbon based uh, fertilizers, uh, pesticides, which are downright dangerous, you know, on the soil. And I, I can give you so many examples, you know, uh, potato, uh, you know, I'll never eat another industrial potato crisp again, 
you know, potato chip. Why is that? Because I, I have seen that because I work with the companies that make them. You know, we talked R and D, and I see how many herbicides and, and pesticides, etc., are on the on, on, on the peels because we're trying to work on bioremediation of the of the of the potato peels. You know, with yeah. anaerobic digester. The skin is the most. Uh, you know, carries a lot of nutrients in the skin, right? Yeah, yeah. but I'm saying if you pick up a non-organic uh, packet of potato crisps, you know, they. I'm not saying it's it is possible that there are, that there are a whole range of of of, of herbicides and anti mold agents oh. on them, and actually the EU just banned just banned the use of one of them. You know, from October they will not be used in the in in, in the EU. Wow. You know, so I, I, what what I'm trying to say is we we're not an ideological company, but basically our idea is hey, let's see if we can do it a bit better. Let's see if we can do it a bit bigger. You know, let's see if we can do it a bit cheaper. You know, let's see if we can do it away without killing animals or, or hurting, hurting the environment. You know? And that, that, what's interesting is that you know, with, with the evil agro, uh, agro empires, you know, and I won't mention names, you know, the agro-industrial complex is the word, this message is starting to resonate a lot more you know, uh, because it's, not a, it's more positive message than, hey, you people are destroying the planet. Which they may or may not be doing. I'm not going to comment on that. You know. For sure. So um, one of the things that we also spoke about was the um, infant nutrition, um, where you could see this going. Yeah, we have a, a collaboration with, with one of the big infant uh, and medical nutrition companies. Yeah, and what I like about that, and why why I probably mentioned it to you, is because historically spirulina, this the algae, the green microalgae, has been um, has been used in in Africa around Lake Chad, and in South America, as a source of infant nutrition for thousands of years. Okay, it's extremely good, and there are studies which were conducted which show that it that giving uh, uh, kids. Uh, Spirulina uh, smoothies and that improves their school performance. Yeah, so I, I have it. I have it in a smoothie, but generally I would put it into more like a green smoothie. And before you were talking about the taste. So in Africa, what were they doing? To, because it's obviously quite a, a strong taste to it. Uh, how were they? Get, were the babies just not chucking it out like they didn't like it, or like uh, how how what they do to to mask it? I guess. Well, when the pandemic is over, I'll. Uh, bring, you can come and visit and taste fresh spirulina. Okay. Fresh spirulina tastes, has no taste. Oh, right. If it tastes like anything, it tastes like perhaps very, very mild butter. Okay. okay. Wow. So what, 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 what you put in your smoothie is dried spirulina. Yeah. Dried spirulina has the problem of, uh, of mild bacterial contamination, etc., which gives it that strange smell, okay, ah. that fishy smell. Right. What we've done is we've developed a, because we, because the blue color, this blue, okay, it's extracted from spirulina, right. which is a blue-green algae. So the green is what you put in your smoothie, basically. I mean, yeah. So what we, we've developed is when we extract the blue, we take, we, we have a byproduct, which is a color, an odorless spirulina. It's not colorless, it's odorless. And this is what we're incorporating into the burgers, into the plant-based meat, etc. And we we have also doing quite a lot of research on trying to increase the protein levels, etc. Because currently, the way that soy uh, concentrate and pea isolate are made 
it's a very industrial process. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's very energy intensive and there are health issues, you know. And so what we're trying to do is, okay, can we increase the protein content in a much more natural and gentle way uh, and, and, and have a high protein powder? And uh, actually that's, that's in testing in a few food production facilities at the moment. And we, we spoke about this, this hybrid model of like mixing cell-based with uh, plant-based, like maybe mushrooms into a burger. Is that where you see, like, at least for the short term, that taking off before it goes fully, you know, fledged into cell-based meat? I think it's it's happening. Uh, it's happening. Uh, it's happening on a industrial scale. For example, I I I think it's very. Oh, I mean, I know you're not allowed to. You shouldn't mention the Tyson word on on a call like this. I mean, you know, Tyson. Uh, have a not not a stellar record in 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 in, in the way in the way that they manage uh, uh, the food chain and especially the way that they manage our fellow living creatures upon upon this earth. But they introduced a mixture of plant-based and real meat, you know. And you can say a lot of things about it, but that's reducitarian. That means less animals are going to be killed. And I and I think that that's only the beginning of this trend. What we're fascinated with, because we're, we're, we're obviously at the cutting edge of, of R&D, at least I hope we are, is can you, for example, make hybrid food? In other words, uh, cruelty-free meat mixed together with plant-based meat, mixed together with mushroom, uh, grown in new ways, new bioreactors, and I can show you one of the new bioreactors which we're developing. You know, can you make new, new kinds of food? Because I don't think that the future of food is going to be a steak grown in a, in a big tank. You know, I think yeah. we're wrong. Yeah. I think the future of food are things which, which both you and myself haven't even thought about. Okay. And we're always trying to challenge ourselves and say, okay, uh, uh, we, are, we are going to be making, for example, a sushi. Okay. The sushi consists of shrimp cells which are grown in a bioreactor, but all the gas exchange is done with algae. And the bioreactor also has mycelia, healthy mycelia, mitaki in this case, which are, you know, the mushrooms are growing together with the shrimp cells. Okay. And the algae are doing the gas exchange, et cetera, et cetera. What you come up with is a paste. And that particular paste is mostly shrimp, tastes like shrimp. Well, at least I taste it, it tastes like shrimp. And then we're going to, we, we print that, we're going to print that on it with our 3D printer. Okay. So you can have a shrimp hybrid sushi, you know, with completely cruelty-free, tastes like shrimp, or tastes pretty close to shrimp, but with a maitake edge. You know, uh, I, I think I'm watching too much food TV in the U.S. because I have an edge. Mmm, that tastes good. You know? <laughs> so, uh, I'm now going to lick my lips a little bit. Just well, we're going to we're going to we're going to do that kind of. That's hybrid food. Okay, great. So let's uh, let's take some time now, and and maybe you can start. We can start doing the tour now, and and meet some of your your colleagues who are working on this stuff. So yeah, let's move to that, and we'll we'll start to show this now. So I'd like to welcome uh, Katie Spear, uh, one of uh, Leonard's colleagues. So hi, Katie. How are you? Hi, great. Thanks for asking. Um, so I studied environmental science at Loyola University in Chicago, 
and I also studied uh, film and digital media. Oh, nice. And uh, basically why I did the two was that I wanted to intersect science and understanding it and communicating it to people so they would have a stake in it to care about. And um, I found that here we're doing a lot of different innovative things, working with the algae and all uh, the different way it applies, but we also really want to have it have a use in a real role in the world where people can understand it and use it and improve their lives and improve the planet and the climate all along. Yeah, awesome. So you said that you studied environmental science, is that right? Yeah. And mm -hmm. uh, so when did you when did you graduate? I graduated in 2018. Uh, so almost like two years out. And I started out uh, doing renewable energy, just replacing and retrofitting buildings for uh, more energy efficiency. And just realized that I hated that. <laughs> um, and it was just not enough in the middle of it. And it was too much just replacing things and getting people discounts and they didn't really care and then coming here and really working uh, right on it and getting into the physical science and understanding it and you know really producing something that would matter uh, is what drew me to it. Great, awesome. So thanks very much for coming to talk to us. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Welcome to our LG Digester Lab. This is the pilot production plant, uh, part of our operations. And so what you see on this side are photobioreactors. These are tubes inside which we grow algae. And uh, what we are doing at the moment is a whole series of experiments to work out the link between food waste and food. And the way we do that is we take food waste and we, uh, we digest it in an anaerobic digester. And then we use the, uh, what comes out of that to grow algae, and then we make other things like biostimulants, et cetera, from it. This so, is a very, very... So Len, for your test, uh, what, what are you using for food waste at the moment in, in those tubes? Uh, at the moment, if we just go down and look at the anaerobic digester, at the moment we use essentially the food waste of the building. This is a large building, there are a lot of companies, there are indoor farms, et cetera. And so that food waste is, uh, is, is, is mixed up, is chopped up, and is put into this tube. And over a few days, it travels through the tube, and eventually we get solids and liquids. And it's those liquids that we then use with special algae uh, to clean the liquids, and then we can use those liquids for other things. For example, like cell culture in our cell culture lab, which we will shortly see. So this is the anaerobic digester, and this is the baby anaerobic digester. And we're going to see the big anaerobic digester, which we are busy getting operational in partnership with Bubbly Dynamics, the owners of this building. And okay. if you look on this side, you can see a large industrial dryer. What we're doing here is we are, we are doing the final step of the process. And if you come with me to look at what's happening at this very moment, and I apologize for it being so noisy, what we have drying on this belt at the moment is a mixture of mycelial or mushroom extracts and a range of algae extracts which we have produced. This is going to be used for vegan yogurt and for nootropic chocolates, uh, all vegan. So here you have an actual example of a test production run and you're very fortunate uh, to be here today because we have everything, everything's, uh, everything's running. 
today. Awesome. Um, do you have any other questions about our uh, algae digester lab? So the, what else can you put through that big sort of dryer? The dryer is mainly used, uh, uh, it's big, but it's, it's still a test scale dryer. Right. Uh, it's mainly used to dry algae extracts. Okay. Know? But now we are, because we're starting to do mushroom cell culture using uh, waste, etc. we start, we, we also doing mushroom or mycelial extracts. Right. So once it's dried, you could potentially use that in the powdered form in, in supplements and things like that as well, right? Yes. In fact, if we look, uh, I can perhaps pick up some powder. Yeah. You can see that powder. Yeah. So that is mycelial and and algal and, and, and extract. Yeah. And I'm going to eat it. Mmm, it's tasty. What does it taste of? Well, because it's a mushroom extract, there's a slight bitterness and a slight chocolatey taste to it. I think it's going to work very well in our single origin vegan chocolate. Yeah, uh, which 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 we're producing in in cooperation with an with a chocolatier in the building. Nice. So, would you not need to mix that with, uh, you know, the cocoa beans, or would it still be mixed with cocoa beans if you're making chocolate? Yeah, this is just a chocolate ingredient. Okay. In fact, right. if you come if you come to to our to 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 to, to my office, I'm going to show you some chocolate, which I would have given you if you'd come to visit us. <laughs> you can always post it to me. So over here we have essentially uh, uh, large-scale production machinery. These are titanium membranes. Uh, over there you can see in the corner we have freeze dryers. Here we have a, uh, a small uh, laboratory-scale spray dryer. So what we're trying to do here, as, as I explained in, the, in, the earlier, in, in our earlier discussion, is essentially we're trying to emulate the large-scale uh, production of plant-based alternative protein, cruelty-free food. And now we can, we can carry on and we can visit, uh, we can look at the digester and then we can visit our cell culture lab. Uh, so as you can see, when we walk through the building, this used to be an old pork processing plant. And uh, you can still see the remains of, the, of, of that. If you look at the roof and the walls, this is where the smoke houses were. And uh, uh, John Edel, the owner of the building, has succeeded in essentially preserving all these vestiges of its industrial uh, heritage of this building. Yeah, and like, like you say, it is quite amazing now it's turned into uh, a plant-based future-facing uh, factory uh, with with uh, karma going back around now. <laughs> yes, uh, and if you look outside here, we won't go outside. Uh, you can see a the, first. You can see our barbecue where we often do testings of plant-based burgers, and then you can see a tube. Right. That tube is the anaerobic digester. So that's a big version of what we saw. And behind that, you can see the city of Chicago, uh, the Willis, or what used to be called Sears Tower, and the right. skyline of Chicago. And that digester is one of the biggest digesters in an urban area. And the two 
the, when, when it has a second tube next to it, it can basically take all the restaurant and uh, food waste and all the secondary uh, waste of, of food manufacturing from the Chicago area and turn it into, uh, in, into something of, of value. Into, uh, and that's basically a lot of our research turns around that. And where we're going to, where, where it perhaps becomes the most exciting is in our, uh, uh, this, what we call the Seeker Lab, which is the cellular, uh, circular economy, cellular agriculture uh, laboratory. And um, we're going to go inside and you can see my, <laughs> our masked, our masked wonder uh, Alex who is our uh, uh, head uh, head of analytical chemistry and uh, we uh, just give you a brief introduction to this laboratory e essentially this is where we do our cell culture and our analytical work and it's a fully equipped laboratory uh, in terms of uh, having everything that's required to do uh, uh, mammalian, uh, mycelial, or mushroom, uh, insect, and, and other forms of cell culture. And so, uh, we may, perhaps we can ask, uh, we can go around to Alex and ask him what he's, what he's up to. Uh, yeah, you, you'll, have to, uh, you'll have to talk on my behalf then, because you won't be able to hear me. But yeah, if you can tell him, hi, Alex, uh, it'd be, uh, be great to know what he's, uh, what he's up to at the moment. Uh, right now, I'm going to probe the aspect. It's uh, just a way to analyze biology and very quickly. Uh, and then that's like trying to generally what I do is operate with HPLC and uh, aspect systems. Um, which have the application I can develop a method for it. Uh, and that's how I spend most of my time. Yeah, so, so Len, I have no clue what you just said because they can't hear him with his mask on. Um, <laughs> Okay, but, uh, <laughs> but maybe <laughs> you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't be heard. So you're out of it, right, Alex? Nice, nice knowing you, Alex. Okay. <laughs> so let's do something exciting now. Let me show. <laughs> now, perhaps oh, when we're at the end, we can give Alex uh, my my earbuds and he can speak, and then I'll sterilize them. So what you have here, this is called an incubator. And what we're doing here is we're doing uh, mycelial uh, cell culture. So we take our algae extracts and we use them to see if we can get uh, cells, be they mycelial or mushroom or animal or anything like that, to grow faster. Uh, and so that, that, that is a, uh, it's a tedious job all r and d is and uh, it takes us it takes us a while but because we use these extracts we actually can grow things quite quickly and if you go into the the, the vestibule over here this is our pride and joy this is the cell culture section and over here we have uh, we have a uh, uh, sorry we cannot go in because of the uh, because of this, this uh, one of our team is working in, in sterile conditions. And what we're doing in there is we're basically working on growing shrimp uh, using algae extracts. And this is a kind of hybrid food I was uh, talking about. 
where we would be doing shrimp mycelia culture together. And next door, we have another clean room, which uh, is devoted to our my mycelial work. Uh, we're very interested in mushrooms because essentially mushrooms and algae are the two foundations of the uh, you know, of life on the planet, fungi and, and algae. So uh, we, uh, we, we work, we work, we're trying to work on, on basically hybrid food using those, those, those two. And here you can have a very nice view of the digester. Yeah. Um, so um, effectively everything in that yard uh, is yours and you have access to do that uh, industrial scale and like you said if you got one of those extra ones you could you could cater for all the restaurants in Chicago uh, the actual digester belongs to the building this big okay. thing right um, but uh, it hasn't been operational for for yet for financial reasons and we feel that we can contribute to, 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 to making the business case for it by finding innovative ways of creating value. I think I, think I could give you a whole lecture on anaerobic digestion, but it, it, it's, it's, a very, it's a very controversial issue because it generates CO2 and uh, you know, it, 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 if it's not done properly. And the biggest problems are economics. And basically what we're working on is can you take food waste and create something of sufficient value that it becomes economically interesting to take the food waste of a city and turn it into something rather than dumping it into a landfill. Right. So, uh, so, so and so is, is there good. technologies out there that will help reduce the CO2 in that, in that process? Yes. I mean, I think for example, uh, we take the CO2 from the, from the brewery downstairs and we use it to grow algae. Yeah, we won't be visiting the brewery today because of the, it's a bit difficult to get around the building with, 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 with COVID-19 issues. So there are ways that you can use, you can use everything from an anaerobic digestion uh, with, with algae. Uh, and the combination of anaerobic digestion and algae is very, very promising. Where we're going to go now is uh, our other lab, which, is, um, which we're building out as a food innovation lab. That's a bit messy. Uh, it's uh, it's essentially where we have our uh, large-scale uh, cell culture units, and uh, we also do our agricultural R and D in this area. So what we have here are uh, robotic cell culture units. These are very big uh, and they're essentially designed for production. Uh, and we're working on a concept that one day that we will actually have a pop-up restaurant here where the meat will be produced in these particular machines. You know, so mm. we, have, we, have, we have ideas. We have other various uh, bioreactors which are, which, which are operational. And uh, over here is where our agriculture specialist works. And you can see we're actually running an experiment to uh, some of our agricultural R&D. The large scale work is done uh, in, uh, on obviously in, in farms, uh, in experimental farms in North Carolina. But so here you can see that we have lettuce uh, that we have grown, uh, some of it with our algae extract and some of it without. And what we're doing here is a shelf life test, you know, where we are keeping it at ambient temperature 
and we're trying to see, and we're seeing how, it, it, we are trying to show something which we, we have proved already is that using these algae extracts improves the shelf life of, of, of lettuce, which is very important uh, for the economic viability of indoor farming. That means inspecting it and uh, you actually see a difference in the moisture content, uh, you know, the amount of transpiration already. So looking good. Mm. Uh, and, and I don't know if we're going to lose signal or not, but these are areas which we are building out. I first want to offer you uh, uh, <laughs> I want to offer you your chocolate. This is our break room. And uh, so there you go. These are the oh. chocolates I was talking about. Oh, lovely. And in fact, here's the chocolatier himself, Jay. Right. Okay. Hi there. Okay. <laughs> and if you were here, you would get these chocolates. These chocolates are with spirulina, and they have our blue ficocyanin topping. And Jay will be making uh, chocolates with that mushroom and algae extract that I showed you. Awesome. Uh, yeah, and then this is where we keep some of our samples. Yeah, here is a uh, uh, there's a kombucha brewer in the building. Oh yeah, and he makes a kombucha which has our blue uh, our blue phytocyanin in it, uh, and uh, it's becoming quite popular. And this is our, these are our extracts. Okay. So we, we can visit what, we, what we're building at the moment here as a mycology lab. And uh, it, it is where our mushroom specialists work. And uh, you can see this kind of research does require quite sophisticated technology, uh, extraction technology. And on this side, Here's a, 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 a wave bioreactor, which they are going to inoculate. Uh, we are doing some work on, on, on medical applications of mushrooms, and they're going to be inoculating that, I suppose, in the course of, of today. Uh, and they're, what else are they doing here? Well, I don't know, I'm sure it's good. So <laughs> essentially, Essentially, we, we, we are focusing a, uh, more and more on, on the whole idea of hybrid food, mycelia, algae, etc. Especially now that our production, our large-scale production of colorant and, uh, and algae plant protein will be, is being, uh, is being uh, done at our facility in Utah. So uh, that's a little tour of, uh, of our facility, and uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, so that was amazing. So just just uh, one last question. Um, if you were going to put a timeline uh, on uh, when cell-based meat will be ready or, you know, and affordable, um, even if you were to mix it, this hybrid model with, with mushrooms and the mushroom extracts, when do you think that will get to become quite popular with the general public? I don't think that the problem is a question of demand. I think it's a question exclusively of supply. I think that people will accept it. And uh, if you read, I sent you an article with them in the New York Times, which explains the, the very clear philosophical basis of, there should be no distinction between meat which comes from an, uh, a live animal and meat which is grown in a bioreactor. I think that, that people are, are overplaying the, the, any resistance from the public. 
the main problem is that of supply uh, and the economics, the economics of large-scale production, you know, which once we've got the science right, we have to get the economics right. And we feel that we're making a small contribution to that by trying to, to see if there are interim steps before we're going to be able to grow. Maybe we'll be growing a stake in 50 years, you know, but we're not going to be doing it tomorrow. And what can we do tomorrow to reduce uh, the amount of animals that are killed? And uh, one way we can do that is to make new kinds of food, which would be small amounts of animal cells together with plant cells, uh, together with mycelial cells. Uh, you know, and that, that to me is the future of food. So yeah, thank you so much uh, for showing me around today. Um, it's amazing what you've got there. So so many things that you're working on, um, and uh, yeah, great facilities actually. And uh, yeah, I wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much, and I hope that you can come and visit, and we'll grill you a plant-based burger. We'll give you chocolate. Yeah, that'll be awesome. It's been a, it's been a while since I was in Chicago, so it'll be great to come back again. Excellent. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thank you, Len. Speak soon. Thank you. Cheers. Bye. Bye-bye.